Hello everyone and welcome back to Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. This is Ohio.com digital content editor Dan Kadar. I'm joined today by Ohio.com and Beacon Journal Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich. Nate, how are you? Doing well, Dan. How are you? Very good. Uh, anybody who didn't listen earlier in the week, of course, I was on with Steve Dorschuk recapping uh, last Sunday's tie against the Pittsburgh Steelers, so if you missed that, check that out now over at Ohio.com slash Browns. But Nate... We are looking ahead on today's show to Sunday's game, the Browns at the Saints, 1 p.m., Mercedes-Benz Superdome, that's what my notes say here, so I've got all that down. Uh, the Saints lost last week in a, one of the weirdest games of the of the year, 48-40 to to the Buccaneers. So they're, they're an 0-1 team, the Browns are an 0-0-1 team, so it's a, not a must-win game for these teams at this point, but... It's an interesting game. Nate, yeah. let's, uh, let's start with the Browns' offense today. And it, it seemed weird in week one. Uh, a lot of passes from Tyrod Taylor. The drama with Josh Gordon. The weird running game as far as how ineffective it was for the most part, especially on the left-hand side of the line. Um... The offense in general is bizarre for the Cleveland Browns. So, Nate, let's start with that. Do you think it'll be different looking on Sunday against the Saints? I think it's going to be better. I, I just think that, you know, you're, they're going to be playing in the Dome, you know, for starters. And that presents its own challenges with crowd noise and everything. But, you know, they're not going to have to worry about the conditions uh, from a weather perspective and, Certainly, it was raining throughout the entire game uh, this past Sunday. Tyrod Taylor has had two starts out of his 44 in his NFL career in which he has uh, failed to complete at least 50% of his passes. This was one of them. Mm -hmm. The other one was actually the playoff game um, that he played in January for the Buffalo Bills against Jacksonville. So he only completed 37.5% of his passes against the Steelers even if he has uh, you know one of uh, you know what you would call a subpar performance for him it, it, it shouldn't be much higher than that if you look at his track record um, Josh Gordon played 69 snaps and was targeted just three times and had only one catch now I know he's missed a lot of time with suspensions but the last time he only had one catch in a game uh, was when he was a rookie, December of, uh, 2012. He's had multiple catches in every game since then, except for this opener this past weekend against the Steelers. So my point is, Dan, there are some aberrations here offensively. So I think if you look at, at, at some of these key players for the Browns and their game logs, their resumes, um, if they return to to normal levels, this is going to be a better performance this weekend against New Orleans. Mm. Let's stick with Gordon here for a moment. Um, some people think that Hugh Jackson was implying that Gordon didn't get the ball as much or as many targets because he wasn't running routes correctly. Is, do you think there's any validity to that? Is Josh Gordon behind right now in his 
knowledge of the route tree? Is it is there an issue there with, with that kind of stuff? Or is it just a matter of they just didn't look at him that much in, in the game against um, the Steelers? Uh, I'm not sure which quote you're referring to, but you said something along the lines of when Josh is really going like we know he can and in the right spots. Right, the, uh, in the right spots can... part. People were thinking that yeah. that was okay. implying yeah. he was running bad routes. Right. Yeah, he said that today. Uh, we're recording on a Wednesday night, and I would say that that was my interpretation, um, that he wasn't spot on on all of his routes. Um, how else are you supposed to take it when the coach says you got to get the guy to be in the right spots? Um, what's also interesting about this topic is Tyrod Taylor continue, continues to call his only turnover of the game an interception late in regulation intended for Gordon. He continues to call that a miscommunication. To me, it just looked like a like Gordon had a step on Cameron Sutton, the cornerback for the Steelers, and Tyrod just flat out underthrew him. Um, but he continues. Tyrod continues to call that a miscommunication. So I don't know exactly what was supposed to happen on that play that would have made it a miscommunication. Uh, so there's that. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is what happens. I mean, this is the risk in missing more than three weeks of training camp. And I'm not um, criticizing Josh Gordon because uh, of the, the reason that he missed training camp. The reason he missed training camp was to receive treatment related to his well-known addiction issues. Um, I would never be critical of that. That's serious. Um, health problem and he's getting addressed um, but the the fact remains that anytime you miss camp that these are some of the, the problems that could arise on the football field so Gordon and Taylor and that connection is obviously vital to this offense having any chance to live up to its full potential we both of them talked today in Berea, and that's what I wrote my main story about today. I mean, those guys need to be on the same page as soon as possible, or the Browns are really going to underachieve on offense like they did Sunday when they only scored once off six takeaways by the defense. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes back to my first question of will this offense look different against the Steelers? Tribe Taylor threw 40 passes and if I if I remember right something like 10 of the first 11 plays of the game were pass plays do you think we're going to see more of, of a running attack in this game? I know Carlos Hyde had 22 carries against the Steelers but do you think this is going to be a thing again this season where every week it, where we're saying man why are the Browns throwing so much or do you think they're going to run the ball a little more against New Orleans? I think they'll run the ball more I think there's still a possibility that we ask that question throughout the season. Yeah. Why aren't they running more? But I, I think Todd Haley's got to regroup here and and think about what he learned from his new group. Mm. And they came out at the beginning of the third quarter and they ran the ball, and they ended up scoring a touchdown on that series. And I think they they only called two pass plays during that whole drive, and one of them. Tyrod ended up scrambling for a 20-yard touchdown on. So to have that kind of success, I think 
tells you obviously you can't do it all the time in all game, but you got to have a have more of it, I think. And I think they will. Yeah, I didn't really get into this with with Steve on Monday when we recorded, but what was your impression of Carlos Hyde in his Browns debut? Um, the stat line's not pretty, I don't think. No. Yeah, you want more. Um, you want more out of him, for sure. Uh, that's the kind of game heading in, and I know we previewed it last week, I was hoping that this three-headed monster of a backfield for the Browns would really step up and take control with it raining all day, mm-hmm. and you just didn't have that. James Conner did that for the Steelers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, sorry, I would say disappointed. I would too. And you never want your quarterback being your most effective runner, obviously. Um, so we'll, we'll see in that regard. But Nate, do you think the Browns will trot out the same group of offensive linemen? Because you know, at some point, you can also point a little bit of the blame on the offense to how they played. There was some penalties there. There was. Like I said earlier, the the left side of the line couldn't really seem to run block that well. I didn't think Chris Hubbard gave up a few sacks, um, it looked like. Uh, maybe he's not completely to blame there, but they came from that side, and T.J. Watt's real good, but there were still sacks. Um, do you think we'll see that same group of five that started the, the Pittsburgh game? Yes, I do, and that concerns me. Hmm. Um I was not impressed with Desmond Harrison, the undrafted rookie left tackle. He's been getting a lot of kind of attaboy uh, <laughs> uh, reviews. Like, you know, hey, he went out there, he did a good job. Yeah, it was a rough beginning, but he really got a lot better. He's going to be fine. And I don't, I, I'm not convinced he's going to be fine. I think he's, he was a liability out there, Dan. I mean, they really need him to be better, to be fine. But I I don't see any evidence from the first game that tells me he is going to be fine. Um, to me, I saw his athleticism. I went back, by the way, and I'm not Joe Thomas or Doug Deacon, right? <laughs> but I went back and I watched all 89 snaps of mm-hmm. Desmond Harrison. And I can see the athleticism that the coaches talk about. And he has a real ability to deal with speed on the edge and to move his feet nicely and and, and in fluid motions and to steer that pass rusher, uh, you know, wide of the quarterback consistently when when they're just trying to speed rush him. But any time he deals with power, look out. I mean, he might end up in the quarterback's lap. I mean, I I saw very little resistance to to a bull rush when he got it. on occasion against the Steelers, and I suspect the Saints are going to notice that and 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 really try to uh, just plow through him and see if he'll uh, all of a sudden become stout because I just did not see it. And in the running game, I, I saw very little aggression from him. I, I did not see a guy who was out there um, making a difference in the running game. So, you know, I, I am very concerned about him. And I'm not one of these people who thinks he's just going to be okay. Hmm. Um, I am not convinced. I'm going to have to see more, and I'm going to have to see him play a lot better than he did to, to start thinking along the lines that he's going to improve enough to where, you know, they're not going to have to make a move there. Um, on the right side, you know, Chris Hubbard, 
Um, this is going to be a, a real test for him. You know, he did not have a great debut with the Browns, and he's admitted it. Um, but here we go. Cameron Jordan's going to be lining up across from him uh, for the vast majority of the game. Uh, that's what Hubbard expects. I talked to him about the matchup today. And here we go with uh, Cameron Jordan, one of the better defensive ends in the league. He had 13 and a half sacks last year. That defensive line has such an advantage with the crowd noise going against opposing offensive lines that they can't hear the snap count, and therefore they have to go on the silent count. Um, this could this could get ugly. I mean, really, <laughs> I, I've got questions about both offensive tackles. Yeah, and I mean, for for Hubbard, it's it's not going to get any easier. I mean, the Jets, they got Leonard Williams. The, the Ravens are always tough up front. I mean, we, we always talk about, like, wide receiver or cornerback matchups or the great quarterbacks on other teams, but they're, they're going to be facing some, some real good pass rushers. And regarding Harrison, look, he just looked like a guy who is an undrafted player who shouldn't be playing for another year in the NFL. And you really hope that getting thrown in there like he is, that he doesn't get screwed up as a, as a prospect because, it, to me, his athleticism really jumped off. Um, and hopefully that, that's a good base that they can build on, but that's tough when you're, when you're right in there and you have to be effective. And, oh, yeah, you're replacing a Hall of Fame player. Yeah. That, boy, that's asking a lot. Yeah, it is. Um, I know the standard is high for that position in Cleveland. That's one of the few things, as, I, as we've talked about before, with Browns fans have been spoiled with, with very little, but the one thing they've been spoiled with for the last decade plus is left tackle play. Mm-hmm. And here comes Desmond Harrison looking like he doesn't belong on the field right now. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I see the athleticism too, Dan, but you got to be more than an athlete to be a football player. I mean, you got to have some, especially in that position, you got to be able to have some strength, some power, um, some aggression, you know, and some nastiness. And uh, I didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there. Again, Sunday at 1 o'clock in New Orleans, Browns play the Saints. Nate, let's switch over to the defense real quick. Emmanuel Ogba, like you said earlier, we're recording on Wednesday, I think, this might publish early Thursday, um, so we'll see what happens, what progresses here with Emmanuel Logbo leading up to the game, but if he's out here with this ankle injury, who who is the replacement on this team for the guy opposite Miles Garrett? Well, it'll be Chris Smith. Uh, he came in and he played a lot um, after Ogba suffered the injury. I don't think Agua played in the second half, Dan. He, mm. he had the injury early on. He came back in the second quarter. Um, but I think it was pretty much Chris Smith from there on out. I mean, I think that Chris Smith is fully expecting to go uh, at a full-time rate in this game. You know, yeah, Hugh Jackson hasn't ruled Agua out yet. He wasn't practicing today. Um, it doesn't sound like he's going to play in this game. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Hugh might just have some little bit of hope or just not wanting to um, have the Saints know this early in the week whether or not they're going to face Agua. So 
that's kind of where we're at with it. The good news is that Hugh says that Agba avoided a high ankle sprain. So, you know, it, it's some kind of sprain, probably, you know, a low sprain. And anybody who listens to this is, is, has probably watched enough football, followed enough football to know that a high ankle sprain is four to six weeks of recovery. And I've never had one. Um, They're but, terrible. It's awful. <laughs> You've had one? I've had two, and it, okay. it feels like you broke your ankle. And, that and your, your ankle turns all black, and your foot swells up to like a balloon. It, it's it's real gnarly. And talking to Miles Garrett about his last year, and the one he had at Texas A&M the year before, it stays with these guys all year. Mm-hmm. Like, Agba, if he had that high ankle sprain, he would not be the same until February or March, you know? Because... They can, they can, they can, you know, take that four to six weeks and then play, but it's, it's just always there lingering. And Garrett said he just, it, it stayed with him all season. He basically, what you saw Garrett do, and this might be a, a nice transition to some more defensive talk, day, which we <laughs> like. But uh, what we saw Garrett do, and how he took over the game against the Steelers in his first meeting with Ben Roethlisberger, that was his first. Uh, regular season NFL game at full health. Hmm. He, had, he had never been 100% healthy previous to that. that. That's pretty crazy. And well, like I said, when we were, we were on with Steve, I really thought somehow Miles Garrett managed to exceed expectations. Just He was unreal. I, th- I thought he was the best player on the field in that game, to be quite honest with you. And that, that always makes me think that the Browns you know, have some shot that they, you know, they're, they have this anchor that you can count on on that side of the football. Now, whether or not he'll see a ton more double teams this week, especially if Ogba is out here, and it kind of looks like he will be, that that's going to be the, the real test. You know, the chips and the doubles, triple teams even. Um, but that, yeah, he's good. But Nate, Gennard Avery... I was pretty surprised by how much he played. Maybe it was a symptom of Agba's injury, but he looked him pretty good too, don't you think? Yeah, he did, and obviously he had the uh, strip sack that set them up for uh, what could have been the game-winning field goal. Um, and he played 43 snaps, uh, 51% of the snaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and they use him a lot at that defensive end, which we talked about. Um heading into the season, how they were going to do that a lot, and how that was going to affect their numbers at defensive end. Uh, Chris Smith, by the way, played 57 snaps. Mm. Garrett played all 84, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I talked to Garrett about this, too. He wanted to be in the best shape of his life. He achieved that goal in the offseason. He got down to 9% body fat. Because my basic question to him was, every time I talk to you about getting in better shape, people on uh, – Twitter say, how is that possible? Because they've seen pictures of him, you know, and he looks like this superhero. And I said, so how, really, like, can you give me something to let me know? Like, (laughs) how do you quantify that or whatever? And he's like, well, 9% body fat. And that's the lowest he's been at. He's lighter, a little lighter than he was last year. Much, you know, and then 100% healthy for the first time. So, but that group is really encouraging, right? I mean, to have the six takeaways, three interceptions, 
but the, the three forced fumbles, two by Garrett and one by Avery, I mean, that's exactly what the Browns were lamenting all last season. They couldn't get it done. They, they ranked last in the league in takeaways with 13. So um, here you have them come out and get six. And really, what's nice about it is, you know, they kind of got that ball rolling in the dress rehearsal against the Eagles, remember? They had four takeaways, yeah. the starting defense did. And instead of just letting that be an aberration, they came out and did it in a real game against Ben Roethlisberger. And I just thought that that was so encouraging. And it's actually some uh, the reason why I am not allowing, in my mind, positive spin on this. I know I disagree with you and Steve on this, that you guys – saw the good in the tie mm-hmm. I, I, I if, if you were just to tell me it's a tie and the way that it could matter in the standings and, you know obviously there are tie breaking implications that the Browns would really have to overachieve to even for that to even matter for them this season I get all that but the way the tie happened makes me just think it was a huge wasted opportunity because the Browns finished with six takeaways. They only had one turnover. That was the Tyrod Taylor interception we talked about earlier. So that's a plus five turnover differential, and you have to win yeah. when you have a plus five turnover differential. And since 1999, teams have gone 132-4-1 when they've had a plus five turnover differential or better. The Browns have lost two of those four out of those four defeats, the Browns have two of them, and the Browns now have the only tie. Yeah. So, to me, it's maddening. It is. I mean, I, look, I, I, I see both sides, but I just am looking at it from the standpoint of this team being 1-31 in 31 the last two years. That, that was basically it. Like. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. I just, on, on the surface, a tie is is progress after one and thirty one. Right. But the just the the deeper dig into it and how the tie came about, I think is really disappointing. Yeah. But back to this this Saints game real quick, and we'll we'll close it out here with a couple more things. You can't really preview a game against the Saints without asking this question. I don't think. Who the heck on this team, on the Cleveland Browns, is going to cover Michael Thomas, the absolute superstar wide receiver the Saints have from Ohio State? Last week he had 16 receptions for 180 yards and a touchdown. And then you have to account for Alvin Kamara, too. They got Ted Ginn there. Benjamin Watson is still hanging around there. They got Austin Carr playing in the slot, not the guy that calls the Cavs games, just some... I believe he's a rookie. They could get Cameron Merritt at the back, but it starts with Michael Thomas to me. So, Nate, you know, last week you said uh, Williams would be the guy covering Antonio Brown. Who gets the honors against Michael Thomas? Well, I hope I said this. At least I meant to say that I thought that um, Williams and uh, Ward would be covering Antonio yes, Brown because right. they would just be sticking to their sides instead yeah. of anyone – uh, shadowing him or matching him or mirroring him, whatever you want to call it. I think that'll be the case again, unless they, <laughs> Greg Williams and uh, defensive backs coach Dwayne Walker say, man, Denzel Ward was just so good in his debut. He had the two interceptions. 
he was right on Antonio Brown on that, I think it was a 22-yard touchdown catch from Antonio, or from Roethlisberger to Antonio Brown. And it was a phenomenal, phenomenal play by probably the greatest receiver in the game. But Ward had really good coverage on it. Mm-hmm. So basically Ward had like a lights-out debut. Maybe that boosts his confidence and the coaching staff's confidence enough where they let him um, step up and, and challenge Michael Thomas that way. I don't know. I don't know if that would alter their thinking. I kind of tend to believe that they'll kind of do what they did last week. I mean, Antonio Brown, he is, like I just said, in my opinion, he's the best in the game. Mm-hmm. But he, we know he's a Browns killer, and we know how he you know, took over and won the game last year. And he did have... <laughs> Nine catches for 93 yards and one touchdown. But, and this sounds crazy, that is actually what I would consider limiting or containing Antonio <laughs> Brown. You know what I mean? Yeah, in like, the context of the game, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he killed them uh, like he has in the past and like he has with so many teams. So I think kind of how they played him was effective uh, to a large degree. And he did make a hell of a play for them to catch that 22-yard touchdown pass. Um, but great players make plays, and he sure did. So sometimes you just have to tip your hat to the other team. That was one of those instances, in my opinion. But I think they were pretty effective overall. Again, the conditions might have helped the secondary with that. And here you're going to be facing Drew Brees, all those playmakers you already mentioned, Dan, on a fast track on turf and, and indoors. It's a tough draw. It's it's a real tough draw. And, you know, Antonio Brown's real good, but Michael Thomas is 6'3 and close to 220 pounds, I think. And it's just a different kind of different kind of player. Um, and then, boy, Greg Williams, he's still playing that deep safety, isn't he? That, that, I, I was mind-boggled when I saw that. Yeah, but... Um... One thing I will say is Demarius Randall, I thought, had a good game. <laughs> I agree. There, there was one play for some reason. I can't remember exactly what it was. But it, I think it was like an underneath route where mm-hmm. he didn't catch up to it fast enough. I, was that the big Juju Smith-Schuster, yes. like 67 yard gain where yes. he finally caught him, but he was at like the four-yard line and he pushed him out of bounds? Yes. And I, it, yeah. it just seemed like if you would have that guy, a, a, you know, five to ten yards closer to to where the action is developing that maybe that play doesn't happen i don't know bad bad angle bad angle i'm just still a little surprised that that is still a thing is all well greg is greg i mean he's he's not gonna change because twitter i know tells him tells him that the angel's ridiculous (laughs) um I, i like i said that was a bad angle but i think randall overall had a really good game yeah and and the guy who got burned on that play to, to start right off the line was Brianne Body Calhoun got burned as the nickel uh, slot corner, and um, that that you know that allowed Smith Schuster to just run wide open the way he did. Um, of course, Randall could have stopped him earlier with a better angle, but what I'm getting at is that was a very difficult and tough matchup for Brianne Body Calhoun, and mm-hmm. did not fare well against. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster so late in the game 
they actually flopped Randall and um, Brian Body Calhoun on certain plays, and Randall covered uh, Smith Schuster in the slot as a nickel corner, and Body Calhoun went back to free safety. And that that I think just illustrates how valuable a guy like Randall can be because of all his experience at corner, and um, obviously, you know, they traded for him and made him their free safety, but but they reserve the right to uh, make changes on the fly depending on matchups, and I think that's a, a good thing to have. Yeah, it, that's true. I, I don't know. I'm still always – that that formation is, I, I think, going to always bug me uh, until it's proven to be super <laughs> successful. I mean – I, I don't disagree. I just think that the guy that they traded for looks so much better yeah. in that role. Yeah. Like, you can hate that role all you want, but if you're going to make a guy play that role, you know, it's not that guy's fault. It's Greg Williams' fault. Yeah. Now, when you have the guy and you ask him and you tell him this is what you got to do, I thought Randall did a pretty good job. I thought he did had a good game, a good debut. You know, yeah. bad angle on the one. I, I think Randall looked better in that position. Love it or hate it. And I think most pe- Browns fans hate it, and I know you hate it. But love it or hate it, Randall looked way better in that role than Peppers ever did. I, I will give you that one. Um, Nate, let's close out this show with comments from Drew Brees. This is a guy who is a surefire, probably first ballot Hall of Famer, Super Bowl winner, mega fan favorite around the league, one of the all-time greats, really. He's never met Baker Mayfield, is, is what I read. But he said in that's a what he said today. Yeah. yeah, in a conference call, he said that Baker Mayfield could be better than him. Boy, how how high a praise is that? I can't think of much better praise to to come from anybody. It's huge. I mean, it's really uh, a headline. It's eye opening. Um, you know, and Browns fans got to be hoping that he's that he's right you know I mean the way it came about was he was asked about Baker Mayfield and the comparisons uh, that are often made about those two guys because of their height mm-hmm. and there are only so many NFL quarterbacks at that height and asked, he was asked if he would give Baker any advice and he just he said well oh I you know I, I think he can be better than me and you know he can move. He can move better. He got a stronger arm, more athletic, that kind of stuff. So, um, and it, it's it, it's it's pretty cool to hear that uh, from Drew Brees. He doesn't know him. They're both from Austin, Texas uh, area, and never met each other. Never spoke, but they will obviously Sunday. I know that Baker Mayfield looks up to him, and it, that's a guy that he studied thoroughly. And, and knows that this is kind of the, the model for a guy his height um, and, and this is the way to play in the NFL and succeed um, at a Hall of Fame level at that height. I asked Drew Brees kind of on the flip side of that today if he takes, if he has any sense of pride in his career in some ways paving the way for Mayfield being selected number one um, because, you know, the success that he's had as a six-foot quarterback 
has obviously opened eyes and maybe changed some attitudes among NFL player personnel departments. And he was like, yeah, I take a lot of pride in that. And he talked about the six foot and under club and how those guys uh, have heard it their whole lives and they have chip on their shoulders. And he said, Baker Mayfield's part of the club, even though he's like six foot and five eight. <laughs> he said, he's, he's, he said, it's all good. He's part of the club. Hmm. So um, it was really just a cool conversation from, like you said, a future Hall of Famer and um, guy who has, you know, watched Baker Mayfield play college football and, and really kind of admired from afar um, what he's been able to accomplish, you know, rising um, through the ranks. And everybody knows what a great story he is as a two-time walk-on becoming a Heisman Trophy winner. Right. Drew Brees got caught up in it all like like a lot of people, and uh, he really likes what he sees. Hmm. Well, that's, that's got to be encouraging. I'm sure at some point this season, you and I will be talking about Baker Mayfield's NFL debut. Uh, it's just a guess all I'm making here. Um, they I think I think you're right. <laughs> and if uh, Tyrod Taylor uh, does not bounce back in a strong way here, it could be sooner than later. Yeah, it could be. Uh, Nate, anything else for this week before we get out of here? I don't think so. Um, I haven't come up with a final score in my head. Uh, yet, um, but I'm going to pick the Saints. Um, you know, I think that they have they started 0 and 2 for several years now. No, I have no idea. Uh, I think that they that might be a thing, but um, here's the way I look at it: the playmaker question you asked earlier about who the hell is going to guard Michael Thomas, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to deal with Alvin Kamara. I just think it's a little bit too much. I mean. You could say the same about the Steelers and the Browns defense. Obviously played well enough to win that game uh, with all the takeaways. But, again, you know, you're not dealing with conditions. You're not at home. You're on the road. Um, and it's just going to be – it's just a very difficult place to play against one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL with playmakers galore. Um I think the Browns are going to be better on offense. And, I mean, let's face it, I mean, the Saints lost 48-40 to to the Buccaneers. Ryan Fitzpatrick running the offense. They're a vulnerable defense. I mm-hmm. mean, the Browns should be a lot better um, on offense for several reasons, including there's going to be some things that they see on that game film against Tampa Bay that they're going to be able to exploit or should be able to exploit. But when you throw it all into the hopper, I just I just think the matchups are too tough for the Browns. Um, with all the playmakers that Drew Brees has at his disposal, and I don't know if I if I could ever see this Browns team winning a shootout, and that's maybe what it would take. So I'm going with the Saints. Hmm. I am too. The Browns are the second biggest underdog this week. They're minus nine. Uh, the Rams game is, is minus twelve and a half against, I think, the Cardinals. Um, it'll be interesting. We'll see if the Browns exploit the Saints' defense and what happened last week, like you said. But that's going to do it for Cover Two, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns here on Ohio.com, Gatehouse Media Ohio. Make sure you're following Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich. You can follow our colleague Steve Dorshuk. He is S. Dorshuk Rep. 
can find all of their work at ohio.com slash browns and cantonrep.com slash browns so that's going to do it for today's podcast thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time